0: My name is Ramesh Bionis, and I'm one of the co-founders of the Prama Institute. And I'm so happy to introduce Andrew Harvey. For over 40 years, Andrew has been working on what I would call universal mysticism through poetry, philosophy, but most importantly, through practice. And tonight, we are going to present a real treat, a new book that he has just released called "Enlightenment: One Year with Kabir. So in other words, one poem for every day of the year. And Kabir is one of the most amazing poets uh, from India, one of the, I would say, probably the most famous poet in India. He is sung in the different villages all over India. He was speaking in Hindi, but his poems and songs are experienced in all the different villages all over India, no matter what the language is. So he's he's an amazing uh, uh, teacher, mystic, poet, and at the same time presenting a very universal message. And I wanted to start, Andrew, to ask you, what is, when when you use the term universal mysticism, what is it about Kabir that represents universal mysticism?
1: Oh, that's a wonderful question. Look. Kabir was born in Benares, as you know, and he was born in probably 1440. That's the latest kind of date, but the the dates varied, But he died almost certainly in 1518. He was born a poor weaver from a weaver Muslim family in the holiest of Indian Hindu cities, Benares. And sometimes in his 20s, he woke up, had a shattering, immense realization And what that realization brought him to was something utterly revolutionary. What he discovered and uncovered was the absolute idiocy of all religious dogmas and rituals and systems and the absolute necessity to go beyond them into a direct naked connection with the one. So what Kabir did, especially in the content of late medieval India, was something unspeakably radical. And in some ways, Kabir is more radical even than Jesus or Rumi, because basically what he said to everyone and what he's saying to us now in the Kali Yuga that he knew was beginning is, get over religion. Go beyond dogma. Go beyond ritual. Concentrate on one sublime practice saying the name of God in the heart and just wait and see how divine love will initiate you directly into the greatest imaginable mysteries. Mm -hmm. That's universal mysticism.
0: Right. So would you say that he was a bhakti uh, yogi?
1: I think he was all kinds of yogi, he's certainly a jnana yogi, in that he knew the essence of reality and knew that he was not too with that essence and he has written some of the most sober and grand jnana poems. He's certainly a bhakti yogi because, as you know, he stresses endlessly and with wild and holy ferocity the necessity for the intensest imaginable devotion, if you hope, to be transformed on this path, engoldened on this path. He was a raja yogi because the legends tell us he went through many, many different kinds of disciplines, some Hindu, some some Sufi, some Tantric even, to distill within himself this immensely concentrated realization that he became. And also, he was very much a karma yogi, because Mm -hmm. he railed against the religious world that was raking in the cash in Benares. And that put him in real danger of his life. There's some texts which tell us that they tried to kill him 25 times. When, they weren't, when the Hindus weren't trying to kill him, the Muslims were trying to kill him, because he was saying, you're all mad, get with the real God in the most naked way. And, and this is something that endears me, him to me so deeply, it's, he was a passionate advocate for animal liberation. Not even St. Francis has celebrated the holiness of animals with the kind of purity and tenderness that Kabir did. And he mm-hmm. raised his voice again and again and again and again to stop the ritual slaughter of animals in Hinduism and to stop the killing of animals in Islam mm. and to bring the whole consciousness of humanity to a new relationship with the creation. So I would say he was an integral... Wow yogi who united all the paths within himself in an Mm -hmm. utterly radical revolutionary transformatory way that is essential for us to listen to now as we are challenged to unite all the paths to birth the divine in ourselves to equip us to rise to the challenge of this time with Passion and joy and compassion and radical commitment to sacred action.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow! Yeah, I was actually seeing a poem where he talks about, you know, exactly what we're you're talking about right now about, you know, saving the animals from from being killed. Oh yeah. And uh, and and the commentator was basically saying Kabir had this amazing ability to move from the the highest, deepest spiritual, abstract thought. Down to the ground, and all of the span in between was sacred to to Kabir. Completely, this is
1: the key to his realization. Kabir didn't simply awaken. Simply is a right word there to the utter transcendence of God. He awoke simultaneously to the utter immanence of God. In one of his greatest poems, he said, my father is the absolute Godhead, and my mother is the embodied Godhead, and I am their divine child dancing for them both Mm -hmm. on their burning dance floor. So for Kabir, every ant, every flea, every stone, every crack in every pavement was radiating divine light. He knew in his bones and heart and mind and soul the absolute saturation of the entire cosmos by the mm-hmm, divine mm-hmm. consciousness and he lived it
0: yeah yeah you can feel that uh, in the poetry you know uh, your, your your first book which i actually reviewed turn me to gold when you didn't uh, I, I haven't been it. able to read it's this this one yet.
1: You, <laughs> you started a, a brush brush fire on the internet and thank you so much for what you did that's uh, how we welcome. came to meet each other isn't it over oh, yeah that's right Kabir yeah, brought yeah. these two brothers together
0: <laughs> that's right yeah i i wrote that review and then uh uh, Miles contacted me, and then the rest is history, as I say. <laughs> the rest
1: is history, and we've just created a lot of mischief in the name of Kabir and the Great Evolution <laughs> on yeah. the class we did together. That was so wonderful. Thank you.
0: Yeah. So, as, as you know, you know, I'm from the Prana Institute, and some people, you know, they mistake that term and they think it's Prana Institute, you know, vital yeah. energy. But actually it's Prama with an M. Right. And Prama means dynamic equilibrium. I mean, and it sounds to me like that is the essence of Kabir, dynamic equilibrium. He he talks about how he found peace. Like I, I want to read this poem for today because it's it speaks to that. And I and I wanted to hear your, your commentary on it. He says, no, My mind like became thin perfect. and fine. So this is December 13. My mind became thin and fine and made its home in the void. Seeing its origin, it attained peace and will never part from its source again. <laughs> so when when Anandamurti, my guru, presented this idea of dynamic equilibrium or prama, it, it really is that the essence of Tantra, the Shiva-Shakti relationship or Purusha and Prakriti in Sankhya philosophy. And it seems to me that that is exactly what Kabir was about, that non-dual union. But but he wasn't saying, oh, forget about the world, forget, you know, it's oh, just God. an illusion. As you were saying, he, was, he had this deep understanding that the world is an embodiment of consciousness. So, Maybe you can speak to that. Well, I would love before
1: I do, I would love you to have a chance to explain to all my people who will be seeing this. What for you is Prama? And then I'll dance with you because you (laughs) devoted your life to this and at the core of your marvelous universal vision of Tantra is a transmission of the necessity for our time of prama. So why is prama so sacred to you? And why do you feel dynamic equilibrium is so important for us to
0: get attuned to at this moment? Right. Well, thank, thank you for asking. So to me, this term prama is really the essence of tantra. So in tantra, we talk about Shiva as pure consciousness, Before anything has been created, if we think of it in cosmological terms. But then in personal terms, it is the highest state of ecstasy, The highest state of inner union and peace in, in spiritual deep meditation. So, according to Tantra, Shiva, this universal consciousness, is from which everything comes. Everything that is manifest comes from Shiva. So in other words, this book is a manifestation of of Shiva. (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) This pen, this computer and so on, everything comes from Shiva. And as a manifestation of consciousness, it expresses itself in the forms of many, in the forms of diversity. So So in other words, the equilibrium part is the Shiva. And the dynamic part is the scenery of the cosmos from the beginning and then back to the one, which is what Kabir was just talking about in that short poem. So, so that's, that's philosophically what Prama means. Today, there is a lack of Prama in just about every facet of human life. Absolutely because we have been living under the yoke of of materialism for hundreds of years which has expressed in itself in a very exploitative capitalist system and so in that sense there's a lack of prama in economics there's lack of prama in the culture because so much of our culture is all about shopping you know we're we're moving into christmas and, oh and it's become a a shopping spree rather than the, the deep Christmas within. So, so in that sense, the term Prama is really essential, I think, in expressing Tantric philosophy in a social context, but also in an individual context. So, it, so, so Which is exactly what your work is about, Sacred Activism, Completely. The yeah. combination of spirituality, meditation, awakening our soul, but at the same time, not forgetting that we have shadows, we have an ego, we have stuff, we have samskaras, and so on. And that is that dynamic part of life. And we and need to
1: act, that we need to act, we need to act on every yeah. level, but inspired by dynamic equilibrium yeah so
0: inspired by the consciousness mm-hmm. inspired by that non-dual state yeah so that's why meditation as as you you call it you know um, the cool uh, part of, of spirituality the the finding the peace within and and so dynamic equilibrium is in a sense ecstasy and ecstasy right and the ecstasy part is, the the outward expression and and it can be expressed in bhakti-yoga, in karma-yoga and also in, in activism in the world to change, create systems change in society.
1: But the beauty of the concept of prama is that the ecstasy that unfolds and enacts the laws of the divine is intertwined with the ecstasy and supported and sustained by it
0: right right
1: The great passion of the shakti is supported by the great peace of shiva and right, absolutely right, right. inseparable from it so has infinite penetrative power infinite transformative power and boundless void energy to draw on for its million million transformations
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Right. So, I I understand from from reading the introduction to Turn Me to Gold and 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 in other places that Kabir for you has been a companion for years. Uh, you you have you uh, you have translated uh, Rumi, and the, and this was part of your life for 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 quite a long time. Oh, now Kabir. <laughs> And, and now, Kabir, and I was reading, you know, you were translating in airports. You were traveling around the world teaching and so on. And then you ended up in, in a cabin in uh, in Arkansas, mm. living with your two cats or four cats or however many. Two cats. Two cats, okay. And, and that's when you really got into the deep, aspect of kabir's poetry and mysticism and and you were expressing in one place where th- that you literally were you were singing his concepts his poems every day so share with me about that experience and and why kabir pulled you on that journey i'd love to but let me start by just answering that question about
1: prama because okay. leaves- <laughs> for me the key to understanding or beginning to and incarnating Brahma is best shown to people in the image of Shiva Nataraja, the dancer. Because in that supreme and sublime image of the nature of God, we have Shiva surrounded by the flames that are creating the universe, one hand carrying the flame of destruction, the other carrying the drum of creation and with his head flung back in the most profound shanti, the most profound peace. And although he's in absolutely stupendous creative movement, he is also totally graceful, totally balanced, totally grounded, totally calm. So Shiva Nataraja, that represents the actual nature of reality, is the most gorgeous imaginable representation of Prama, dynamic equilibrium, yeah. The marriage yes. of opposites at every single level that is the Godhead. And it's that marriage of opposites that Kabir is calling us all to in ourselves to marry the masculine and the feminine, the transcendent and the imminent, the light and the dark, the human and the divine, deep, inner, concentrated realization with wise, guided, sacred action. That, to me, is Mm Prama. That is Prama. Beautiful. And I, for me, and I honor prama as the key principle of sacred activism because what i've understood is that mystics as we know them are in some kind of equilibrium but they're not dynamic enough they're not using their inner discoveries to fuel them to make them warrior midwives of a new reality and activists who are doing their utmost to try and challenge the existing structures are very often not in any kind of equilibrium because they haven't found their way to the shanti, to the face of Shiva, the deathless awareness that they desperately need, especially in our frankly, and totally apocalyptic times, if they're going to have the courage and the guts and the stamina and the power to go on going on, standing up for harmony, standing up for justice, standing up for compassion, fighting peacefully against the massive powers of the dark that are arranged against them. So... I salute your Prama Institute and your wonderful work on Tantra and your wonderful way of relating this great secret to all of the different aspects of this world that need to be transformed because it mirrors exactly the kind of work that I have pledged my life to. And the kind of work I have pledged my life to has been radically revolutionized and profoundly inspired by Kabir. Mm-hmm. For all the reasons I told you when I answered your question about his Kabir, back to Yogi, he's everything. He's every yoga united in prama and in action, mm-hmm, inner mm-hmm. and outer. Yeah. And this discovery was something that absolutely took the top of my head off. When I actually took the whole of my head off, when I was living <laughs> in one of my periodic fits of bankruptcy in a log cabin in Arkansas. Starting Mm -hmm. sacred activism was not a wise financial move because at the time I did it, nobody wanted to be told that we were going to go into an apocalyptic situation, which has, of course, arrived. No, None of the New Age wanted to be told that its philosophy and way of practice was entirely narcissistic. And very few of the activists wanted to do any spiritual practice, let alone marry the (laughs) mystical within them to their activism. So, although I knew it was and remains the key to the birth of a new humanity, I also knew that I would have to wander raggedly in the wilderness for many, many years, which I did. And it came to a point where I could no longer afford to live in any kind of city. So I went with great joy, actually, to live in a log cabin in the middle of Arkansas on the land of rural farmers who, didn't give a damn about Andrew Harvey but loved Andy as they called me and nobody else has ever called me Andy but I loved them calling me (laughs) and they became my greatest friends in life. I adored them and they were the kind of people that actually loved Kabir and I think this is important because Kabir alienated all the mullahs and the pandits and the holy rollers and the yogis with their fancy schmancy rosaries and costumes because he said this is all rubbish you could get to god dressed quite normally and without a sanskrit name and speaking hindi rather than any holy language god is here all the time and but the people who protected him and loved him were the cigarette sellers the banana sellers the boatmen the people who burned the dead the Mm -hmm. guys who carried furniture out of the houses of the rich the blue collar class he was blue collar himself and they loved him because they got that he loved them and he wanted them to be liberated so i lived in this hut and I was finally able because my own life had collapsed into a very total simplicity and because I was living surrounded by deer and raw green fields and because I had great friends who didn't give a damn about anything that I'd written but loved me as a ragged human being. I was able finally to get to a place of both humility and openness in which I could finally, finally face Kabir and face the really sometimes terrifying job of communicating his essence as far as I could in English. And I say terrifying because Kabir being so simple and direct is actually the hardest imaginable poet to translate, because if you get a word wrong, You stop the blade of truth that he is from entering deeply. Terrifying because if you actually sit, as I did for day after day, night after night, for several years with his work, not just intellectually or emotionally, but with my entire being exposed to him, you won't find it a pretty thing because Kabir is fierce. Kabir is truth in a body. And Kabir will pierce your protection, your resistance, your fantasy about yourself. And when he's done that, he will exalt you and rebirth you in dimensions that, although I'd had a lot of mystical experience, I hadn't really experienced before I became his willing slave. So it was an extraordinary experience for me because, for example, I would translate a poem and it would spend, I'd spend a day on one poem because I wanted to get it as exactly right as I could. And then I would go to bed tired with my two cats cuddling up. And then the next day, what was communicated by the poem would actually happen in my little universal reality. So I knew. That what was going on was not simply that I was, this old guy was sitting in a hut in Arkansas translating this other guy who died 500 years ago. I knew that Kabir was absolutely alive, that Kabir is a field of initiatory truth. And because I'd been crazy enough to want to enter it, it was entering me. So that's (laughs) what happened that was the most thrilling painful amazing experience of my entire life and that's how i got to know him or begin to begin to know him and that's where my undying respect for the majesty of who he is was born that's where it was born that's how it was born
0: you you use one term um, in your introduction to kabir that you're trying to die into the splendor That you know the splendor that he sings.
1: Well, I was trying to. What do you mean by that? Well, can I read you a poem? Because I think (laughs) this is the poem about that. And then I'll explain what I meant. Because the truth is, you you can't die on your own. You have to have somebody to come and kill you, either God (laughs) directly, or one of God's most ruthless and radiant ambassadors. And in choosing to translate Kabir, I really laid my head like um, Mary Queen of Scots on the chopping block, because you don't enter Kabir's field without risking your vanity, your ego, your previous assumptions about yourself. You don't. And I'm so grateful. I cannot begin to tell you how grateful I am that I had the madness and the courage somehow to do that because he did absolutely transform my understanding of everything. He took what I knew and crystallized it at an unimaginably greater depth through the grace of his stupendous and majestic realization. And this is a poem that I think will describe something of what happened. I wish I was more dead, obviously, that bits of me are still very much alive. but. <laughs> That's not his fault. He tried hard and continues (laughs) to try hard. Um, Here's the poem. I love this. This is April 21st, everyone. In every house there burns a lamp. But you're blind and don't see it. Keep trying. One day you will see it and be free from death's noose. It isn't a question of eloquence or of listening or of ritual to see it. You have to die while alive, and then you'll never die again. In every house, a lamp is burning. Neither yoga nor chanting, piety or vice will help you see it. You have to die while alive. And then Kabir promises, you will never die again. (laughs) And in my heart, there was a lamp and it came up. Divine consciousness came up through his grace. And I understood that I had been making the journey too complicated because I have been given an intellectual mind. I had studied in all the major traditions. I had written God knows how many books. But Kabir was saying, I don't care about all that shit. I don't care about your books, what you think you know about the early history of Mahayana Buddhism, none of that's important. What's important is that you die is that you concentrate your being so intensely and humbly and sincerely and incessantly that slowly through God's grace, the lamp of your essential divine consciousness becomes real to you. Not something you read about or glimpsed in certain mystical experiences, but real, blazing and steady. And through, his grace, and I really believe it, that happened, and it's real. It's now natural and normal for me. And that's wholly due to my plunging into him. He was, I'd had many previous executioners. Rumi was, did a wonderful job, but it took Kabir, I think, to chop this particularly stubborn head off. And that's why I'm producing this book now for the world. Because I Mm -hmm. don't think of Kabir just as a, a great, the greatest mystical poet of India, which would be enough. Nor do I think of him just as a pioneer of universal mysticism. That would be amazing enough. But I know that he is the field that we need most to communicate with because it's so fierce, so truthful, so exalted. And what... That field is trying to birth is what I believe our terrifying apocalyptic dark night is trying to birth. Not just enlightenment, and I say not just enlightenment very humbly, but something even more amazing that I discovered in kabir's work because kabir was showing it to me in me and because i'd already met it in my great teacher father b griffiths who had himself gone through it and tried to communicate it to me nothing less than the engoldenment of the whole (laughs) being the great birth of a new kind of human being divinized in mind awake to transcendent reality divinized in heart, irradiated by universal compassion, and, and this is so important, divinized in body, with all the cells woken up to their essential origin in the golden alchemical light of the Godhead. That's Kabir. And that's the discovery that I hope will be available to everyone in this book. I wanted to produce this book because i wanted everyone to experience what i'd been given through infinite grace in that heart so now it's available for the price of a decent or rather mediocre breakfast 14.99 on amazon (laughs) come into your life and change it forever and accompany you in this shattering
0: time and give you strength and vitality and energy and hope so i was just going to ask you about engoldenment, the meaning of it but you answered it, it well, is... i
1: think it's something that i would love to talk about with you because as i have understood tantra and i i've had a great deal of help from your beautiful books on tantra but I've also plunged into the Kashmiri Shaivites and into Shaivite Tantra in South India and into Vajrayana Tantra. Through the grace mm-hmm. of the Dalai Lama, I was able to attend secret teachings three years ago when he gave teachings on the golden body from the core of the Vajrayana tradition. And right, I've right. done a lot of work on the great Christian mystics who went through the great mystery of the Christian tradition, which my great teacher did at the end of his life he went through the mystery of transfiguration and what i've discovered in this is that at the heart of all of the great mystical traditions there is a blazing secret that has been kept intentionally secret because of its radioactive power and radioactive capacity to transform us and the danger involved in it getting into the wrong hands and that secret is is that humanity is destined to be divinized heart mind soul and body and this secret is the great secret of tantra this is the secret that is worshiped for example in the golden shiva of chidambaram where the great tantrics of ancient South India went to worship the golden Shiva, not just as an example of the glory of Shiva, but as a living icon of what they could become if they surrendered and died into Shiva, that they would become engoldened in mm. heart, mind, soul, and body. Gabir mm-hmm. woke up to this, I believe, spontaneously. It was not in the system he wasn't a part of Kashmir Shaivism although he might have been instructed by it he certainly plunged into tantra he knew about tantra he certainly plunged into Vedanta he knew about Vedanta he certainly plunged into Sufi mysticism which taught him the passion and necessity of devotion but what makes Kabir unique and uniquely helpful to us is that it seems that this engoldenment process, which goes beyond enlightenment into divinization of the whole being, arose in him spontaneously. It was as if, just as Jesus was the pioneer chosen for the introduction of Christ consciousness, Kabir seems to have been chosen seems to be that's an academic. Kabir was chosen to be the pioneer of this engoldenment consciousness. And I believe that Kabir is returning now to us at this moment when the deepest meaning of our dark night is that it isn't the end of humanity, although it may look like it and it may seem like it, As this Kali dance gets wilder, it is actually the birthing ground of this great secret, this secret of engoldenment. So my producing this book at this moment is to help everyone get in touch in the deepest, clearest sense with this great tantric mystery of radical divinization of the whole being that is now being offered to the whole of humanity at the price of dying into life and in the middle Mm -hmm. of a crisis that is perfectly and ruthlessly designed to kill us into
0: life. Mm -hmm. Wow. So share with us some engolment poems from your book.
1: Well, I don't know if you can stand them. Of course you can stand them. These are so <laughs> let me, I would be delighted to. These are the keys to, I think, the kingdom, queendom of trying to be born on the earth. And I'm not alone in this. This is not something I invented in the past. The great Sri Aurobindo wrote a whole slew of magnificent books and lived himself this secret in the 20th century. The mother, his consort, lived the next level of that secret in her astounding descent into the body with the golden light to engolden the body. And her great disciple, Satprem, if if you haven't read Satprem, my friends, please read Satprem. He wrote a great book on Aurobindo, The Adventure of Consciousness, and he wrote a stupendous account of what this process feels like called Evolution Two. And he's, a, he's one of the most important and least known modern mystics because of this knowledge that this process is actually happening in the middle of this madness and through this madness, because it's not just a transformation we are in, it's a mutation of one species into another. And the mutations are always unspeakably difficult Imagine what happens to a caterpillar in a, in a cocoon. It, it doesn't just go into the cocoon and eat for a few days and do meditation and then come out a butterfly. It dissolves completely. Imaginal cells wake up in it, constellate together and build a wholly new kind of body that is, eventually has to struggle free and become the butterfly. That's what's happening, I believe, on the earth and all my work now is dedicated to getting the information about this process out and to living it as far as I can myself to be of real help to people. And that's why I also translated the great Engoldenment text from the heart of the Christian mystical tradition, which is Angelus Silesius, is, he's a German mystic of the 17th century, who went through this extraordinary process and wrote 1,500 epigrams. And I translated 108 of them in amazing stuff, in um, Becoming God, a book that I brought out two years ago. So engoldment is everywhere to be found in the secret chambers of the great mystical traditions. But here is Kabir. Expressing what happens to you and me when we are initiated through the grace of the evolutionary field into this astounding new life. New wine, new bottles, new life, new world. And this is one of my favorites. It's very simple, but it describes the moment when you come to understand that you're not just being woken up to divine reality, which is a miracle enough, my God, that would be enough for any life, but that that reality is itself in dynamic equilibrium in what the ancient Greek, Syrian mystic, Gregory of Nyssa called epictasis, endless expansion. That equilibrium is endlessly expanding and the transformations possible through that divine truth of ultimate consciousness are endless and will be endless, endlessly transformative. And this is a poem that describes the moment of the marriage of divine consciousness with the whole of your being down to your toenails, bones, cells, Mm -hmm. genitals, everything. In the gorgeous city of the human body stands a palace of light. (laughs) There, in a brilliant sky... The longing soul will marry her beloved seated on a throne jeweled with revelation. I'm going to read it again because it contains multiple tantric secrets, as Ramesh would know. In the gorgeous city of the human body, Kabir goes on and on in poem after poem saying don't just go off into the light that's wonderful but it's just the beginning then bring the light down and find that the beloved is living inside you inside every cell and that your body is a living pulsing vibrant ecstatic temple enshrining the light it is a gorgeous city in the gorgeous city of the human body stands a palace of light and that's in the inmost chamber of the heart center and it is a palace you're being made royal you're being in golden the royal beloved is royaling you because you've sweated and burnt and craved, and longed, and prayed, and finally, finally you've died. And now you're being resurrected, as you really are. There in this palace, in a brilliant sky, the sky of Satchitananda, the sky of eternal consciousness, the longing soul will marry Her beloved. Marriage is a word that you'll find again and again in Kabir, and it signifies the total donation of both the eternal beloved and the human beloved to each other, so that you cannot tell them apart, so that the mind is one with the beloved mind, the heart is one with the beloved mind, the body becomes the beloved's own body. The longing soul will marry her beloved seated on a throne jeweled with revelation. Wow. (laughs) And when I read that, and I have had a few completely life-changing glimpses of what that means. Thank God. When I read that, I remember a... Commentary on Revelations that I read, written by a 19th century clergyman. A brill- it's the most brilliant revelation, commentary on Revelations, the book at the end of the Bible, by a man called Caird. And it had one sentence that yeah. burnt itself into my brain. It, the sentence was The end will not be an event, it will be a person. And even when I read it, which was 20 years ago, I realized, oh, my God, he's not talking just about, you know, the return of the Christ, which is like a return of some Star Wars avatar. He's talking about something, something much more mysterious and amazing. He's talking about the birth in us of our essential embodied divine human person. The one that marries the beloved and sits on a throne jeweled with revelation. And I'd love to read another one if you will indulge me because these two poems are so much at the key of this whole book. They're put at the end because the poems of engolderment are, are hinted at throughout the book, the Engolderment process. But first to get to engolderment. There's a lot of work. You don't just hop into engoldenment. You need to really purify yourself, dedicate yourself, see things as they really are, clarify your shadows. And then you need to go through the dying process, the process of the dark night, the inner process that is the birth canal to this astounding new reality. And then when that is done, through the grace of the beloved, when you're destroyed and remade, then the very, very profound and beautiful and holy revelations that prepare you for divinization start to be given to you by the astounding grace of the infinite. And this poem, which is on December the 9th, so it's pretty late, but you have to earn this poem, we all do. And it's it's such an extraordinary poem because it's scientific. I mean, Kabir isn't describing some poetic vision, he's describing exactly what happens. And there are two great poems of this process that I found in world literature. One is by St. Simeon, the new theologian, who describes this process in exactly the same way. And that was written in the 11th century because he was living the engoldment process through the transfiguration that was Jesus's secret bequest to the mystics who loved him. And this poem. So I'm going to read it and then I'm going to throw my two cents at, at you just in case. It's just to try and enhance whatever you receive because it's very, very. It's not only beautiful, it's precise and it's amazing and it will give you hope. Conch, gong, trumpet, hear them thrilling through the divine palace of your body. As at last, at long last, you merge with your eternal husband. (laughs) Let love's mad joy surge through your whole being in wave after wave. This is what you were born for. This is what you died to live. Oh my God. That's... And what's so fantastic is this, and Ramesh will bear me out because Ramesh, as a real practitioner, knows these things. And it's known in all the tantric systems. As you start to wake up to your essential self, you wake up to a series of sounds which eventually crystallize into the sound. And the sound, the shabd, whatever name you call it, the name Kabir calls it, is a constant sound. It's the sound of Brahman, it's the sound of God, and attuning yourself to that sound is the first stage of the divinization process, as Kabir knew, and that's why he taught the importance of saying the name. And as the process continues, and amplifies and more and more and more of you through the grace of the beloved becomes drenched with divinity. What happens is that those sounds amplify until at the moment, and this is not something I've experienced, but I've experienced enough to know that this must be real. Why would he be telling us this if it wasn't real? This is Kabir, this is not some modern guru from Idaho he's what happens at the moment when the divinization process is complete is that you hear the sounds that actually greet the entrance of a god into the temple and if you ever go to an indian temple and hear the incredible wild holy noise of what happens when the image of Shiva or the image of durga or the image of krishna is brought into the sanctum then you'll know you have some sense of what happens at this moment. The whole universe blazes with ecstatic sound as you are crowned by the love beloved in your engolden self, just as in the poem I read before. So conch gong trumpet. That's what you hear in an Indian temple, but it's sounding for your new you. Conch gong trumpet. Hear them, hear them, thrilling through the divine palace of your body. It's beautiful because in the first poem he says, the palace is in the body, but now it's not just in the body, the whole body has become, as Aurobindo said and knew, the divine palace. You become the palace itself the divine palace of your body, as at last, at long last, after millions and millions of incarnations, and after so much suffering and so many, so many deaths, you merge with your eternal husband. You don't just embrace your eternal husband, you don't just kiss your eternal husband, you don't even make love with your eternal husband, you merge, you merge with your eternal Mm. husband. Let love's mad joy surge through your whole being in wave after wave. Anyone who has ever had a Kundalini experience, and I'm sure those who are listening, have been graced with this tremendous blessing. Some of you may really have You may understand through memory what that means. The eruption at the core of your being of this volcanic energy of divine passion and gorgeous, gorgeous peace all melted together, which totally transforms you and transforms anything you've ever understood about the divine. Let love's mad joy surge through your whole being in wave after wave it pulses it is what mm-hmm. the kashmiri shiva call called the spanda but it's the spanda mm-hmm. on kundalini crack it's the ultimate <laughs> pulsation. and then he says this is what you were born for this is this is what you were born for not just to be awakened but to be in golden and this my beloved friends is what you died to live and that Mm. life will never end in any world or dimension and i'm not talking poetry Mm.
0: wow yeah wow what a beautiful explanation does it bring
1: true from your knowledge of the tantra it does yeah, totally yeah. within the tantric tradition isn't it? abhinava gupta would recognize that
0: yeah yeah and and certainly you know to me this is the essence of tantra the yeah the embodiment of you you were talking about you know different sounds in the different chakras and so on as kundalini is rising lights too it, it's a whole right Right, it shows, isn't it? so yeah, and, th- and this I think is the specialty of tantric meditation, yes. But one, one of the things that Anandamurti was pointing out that even in Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, right, the Ashtanga Yoga or the Yoga Sutras, these, according to him, are also tantric practices, they're not, yes. they may not have been called tantra at that time or even afterwards. And, and, and this is where I often get in trouble when I talk about this as Tantra, because this is how Ananda Anandamurti was teaching these various lessons as part it of Ashtanga Yoga. Part
1: of the problem though, Ramesh, that in the conventional interpretation of Patanjali, the ideal is Kaivalya, the ideal is right, right. <laughs> Vedantic. It's really about yeah. going into transcendence. And that right. I think misses the whole point of potentially, that it's not about Cavalier is a very honorable position. I mean, it's an amazing achievement spiritually, but it's not the end, it's the
0: right, beginning
1: right. of the end. It's the it's yeah. the state which prepares for the engoldenment inflaming of everything.
0: Right, right. Yeah, so so that's yeah, that's so true. Because some are even talking about kaivalya as being this, you know, uh, isolation right. state, you know, as as if you're separated from everything. But it is a union. And, and as you're saying, that, that's just a, a way, a station on, on the way. Well, it's an essential. Towards station. that
1: engulfment. Well, you see, the other system, which I th- really think is is on a par with tantra as as an, a kind of way of understanding this process is the system of the alchemists the alchemical right, right, system right, right. that was yep, developed yep. first in egypt and then in arabia and then in the great alchemists of the f- 13th 14th 15th century and very simply yeah. they really lay out three stages and this is what you yeah. yeah. us. First, you go to the ascent, which ends with Kaivalya. The the illumination of your essence being the eternal light consciousness. And you can stay there and be, in a way, free. But the Alchemist says that's just the beginning, because after the ascent has to come the descent. And Mm -hmm. you have to bring down the awareness of the eternal light conscious grace into mind heart and eventually into the depths of the body and as you do that second stage then they realize in a way that is also realized in kabir that the third stage starts to appear more and more vibrantly and they call that the raise simplex the simple thing just as kabir calls engoldenment simple state, simple union, the deepest possible meaning of Sahaja. Those two systems are very aligned and they critique the Vedantic system Mm -hmm. of interpretation of Patanjali. And that has to go now because it doesn't serve
0: us in this time.
1: We need the full (laughs) vision.
0: Right, right. Yeah, wonderful. So, Andrew, uh, I know we're close to the end of the hour here, but do we have time for a few questions or comments from from the participants?
1: Well, you know what I would love is that if people could really take this into their hearts, what I'm saying, and really please get the Kabir book and read it yourselves, then maybe we could have another meeting in which we could have you and I, you bringing your tantric wisdom and experience, and me bringing whatever it is I know, then we could have a wonderful session of introduced of, of talking to people, of really integrating this. Because I've tried to give the whole picture mm-hmm. as far as I can today. And I yeah. think the transmission, as far as I'm concerned, is complete. And I think it would be wonderful if people who are listening would honor Kabir, by getting the book and by really meditating on what's been said here by us both, and then coming back with whatever questions arise from the depths of your own wisdom, then, my God, what a conversation we could have.
0: Sounds like a good plan. <laughs>
1: let me just read one more, Kabir. Can I do that just?
0: To sure. Thank you all yeah, for
1: absolutely. I'll, let me see what we can do. Oh, I'll read I love I'll read you two very simple ones that go to the heart of the golden state and the heart of tantric union the heart okay. of prama
0: mm-hmm.
1: December the 28th I love this one <laughs> they go on and on about heaven has anyone been what if it's all made up? Look, says Kabir, "You keep your talk of heaven. Leave me, my chair on the porch, and his light everywhere." <laughs> that is one of the cheekiest poems ever written, but. It's- <laughs> Manifesto of the Engulfed Human, saying, "I don't need heaven. I don't need hell. I don't need dogma. I need this experience of the simple state beyond words, beyond any possible description." And then this mm. one, which I ended the selection with, because I I think this is so cheeky too, but so beautiful. says, cheeky is a compliment, by the way. <laughs> Kabir is nothing if not cheeky, he's cheeky is too small a word. Kabir says, my mind's grown pure, pure as Ganges water. Now God's running after me, calling Kabir. Oh, Kabir. (laughs) isn't that amazing now god's running after me
0: (laughs) yeah wonderful
1: you could get burnt for much less in the medieval catholic church but this is where we're going if only we can get through this period and learn its lessons and that's why I wrote this book to just infuse us all, myself first of all, with this amazing vision of who we essentially are and who we can be. Bless you. Thank you. And thank you, Ramanev. Uh, thank thank you
0: so much, Andrew. Thank you so much. My it's great been joy. Really amazing.
1: Kabir bless you bless you bless you in the name of kabir my god let him come into your life oh don't let all that sweat be in vain it's all for you
0: god bless you okay
1: all right
0: thank you so much andrew and yeah let's let's have another event let's Um, do it let's
1: be naughty let's let's do that then then god will come calling after us ramesh ramesh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Elaine, Elaine, ciao, ciao, James, James. Who knows what can happen?
0: <laughs> All right. Take care. Okay. Everyone, thank you so much for, for joining us and uh, be in touch. And we'll see you again in, in a few months for another event.